Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Brightcast by Ship Bright. Today's podcast is um, a very special one. I'm honoring an old friend and colleague, a gentleman by the name of Wayne Newell, who died uh, this past December 2021 at the age of 79. He's a Passamaquoddy elder. I met him when I had founded the Maine Lakes Conservancy Institute, and uh, one of our backbone programs was working with middle schools throughout the state of Maine and, you know, knew we'd wanted to try to work with some of the tribes. Uh, And there are five federally recognized tribes in the state of Maine. There are the Maliseet, the Passamaquoddy, the Abenaki, the Penobscot, and the Mi'kmaq. And Wayne was with the Passamaquoddy tribe. They are, uh, there are actually two reservations for the Passamaquoddies. One's at Pleasant Point on Passamaquoddy Bay on the ocean, and then just inland on an Indian township on Big Lake, uh, they have the other half of the tribe, if you will, the other tribe. They actually are two separate governing entities, uh, but they are of the same people. Uh, they're, they're part of the Wabanaki Federation, Wabanaki meaning people of the dawn because of their location on the East Coast. I'd gone up to meet with Wayne to talk about our programs and uh, immediately hit it off with him. He was a very large man. I think he was legally blind because his glasses were thick as Coke bottles. Uh, But he was such a gentle soul. But more than that, he had such a passion for the Passamaquoddy culture, and he was the keeper of its language. He, He was there at the school teaching the children to take pride in their language and to take pride in who they were. Uh, and our programs teaching about lake science with the uh, Indian Township tribe being right there on the lake, uh, it was a natural fit. And so we developed the relationship uh, with Wayne and his students, and we loved going up there. Uh, The students were incredibly engaged, and I said to Wayne one time, I said, you know, we work with kids all over the state, and a lot of them are great, and they get it, but I've never seen such enthusiastic students Uh, as yours. And he goes, well, it's because it's who we are. We've been here for thousands of years. This lake is us. I was like thinking about that. I was like, well, okay. And then one day after one of our programs, uh, we were sitting in a circle, which was our traditional way of uh, how Wayne did it, you know, and you were given, um, I don't remember the name of it, but it's like a tortoise shell at the end of a stick and it's like a rattle. But when you had the talking stick, you got to say your piece. No one could interrupt you. Everybody listened respectfully to what the, the person had to say, whether it was a child or was a teacher or, you know, an educator like Wayne. And it went around and the kids made some very thoughtful remarks, uh, more soulful than you would have thought for kids in the middle school. When Wayne had the talking stick, uh, he goes, children, he says, I want you to know when you wake up in the morning and you look out on the lake and you see the mist above the lake, That is the breath of your ancestors talking to you. And I just, even just seeing this, talking about this right now, I'm getting goosebumps, but I remember uh, Andy Sherrill, one of our board members were there with us, and the boat captain and our director of education, and we all just kind of looked at each other and go, whoa. I mean, that was... That was a statement that really got all of our attention. And he was that kind of guy. So we had, at the time, uh, I was married to Sarah Stiles Bright, and she wanted to be... She's looking at wanting to do a children's book. And um, there was a natural affinity with the tribe 
with some of their stories. And uh, so I'd had a couple of conversations with Wayne about maybe doing a children's book on some of their legends. And there was a natural. It was the Windbird. And uh, so Wayne had agreed to let us uh, write, illustrate, and publish the book. Now, the tribe guards their culture very carefully because it's, it's theirs. And there are people that have come in and, you know, tried to make money on rituals or dances or, or try to monetize in their culture. And that's just wrong. But uh, we were given permission because uh, we had agreed with Wayne that we would gift a copy of the book to every elementary and middle school in the state of Maine. And that from any sales that money would be go would go to underwrite the children's programs. So there was no personal profit in it, so it passed that test. And then uh, Sarah had the chance to sit down and talk to Wayne about it. And uh, Winbird, Gift of the Mist, started coming in to focus. <clears throat> and I'm going to read it to you in a second. But I want to say we had done a uh, coffee table book before I had produced it. So I had a little experience in publication uh, and we had gone back to a main publishing house that we had done our first book with, uh, but they they really had an agenda uh, for how the story should be, and that it should be about a, a girl becoming an activist uh, and trying to prevent invasive species coming into, into their lake, which was a hot topic at that time. I get why they want to do it, but that's not, one, what the tribe was agreeing to, and two, it's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to stay true to the tribe's story. And it went back and forth. It was, honestly, it was pretty frustrating uh, because we just didn't feel like we were getting listened to. So finally, uh, I made the decision that we were just gonna self-publish it. And we did, and it was quite an undertaking. But let me tell you what, we won the gold medal at the Chicago's Humanities uh, Convention uh, in the Moonbeam Children's Book category. Gold medal, this little organization publishing house we'd had a disagreement with got the bronze medal. Yeah, am I that small of a person to say I told you so? Yeah, I am. We told you so. It was a great book the way we had it written, and people agreed. So uh, without any further ado, I want to read the, the book, Windbird, Gift of the Mist, written by Sarah Stiles Bright, illustrated beautifully by Gustav Moore, and published by the Main Lakes Conservancy Institute, and the Passamaquoddy tribe in partnership. More than that, this is for you, Wayne. I miss you. Hey, everyone. Here's a quick word from Anchor.fm, which is one of my sponsors. They provide me the tools to keep this broadcast free. Thank you. Windbird, Gift of the Mist, Passamaquoddy Legend, as written by Sarah Stiles Bright, illustrated by Gustav Moore, and published by the Main Lakes Conservancy Institute and the Passamaquoddy Tribe. Have you ever sat by the edge of a lake and watched the wind crawl across the water, leapfrogging in tiny, dark ripples? Have you listened to it scream on stormy days from one end of the lake toward the other, blowing the water in tight, wild, white-capped waves? Perhaps you've wondered about the creatures that live and move silently along the shore or beneath the waters, or maybe you've wondered about all that came there before you and all that will come after. I have. And when I do, I am reminded of an old story about a lake and its people, a story that was told to me by a friend and great Passamaquoddy storyteller, whose people know their lake better than anyone else 
because they have lived there for thousands of years. He tells me that the beautiful mist over the lake in the mornings and the evenings is actually a gift given to his people by Wakausen, the windbird. This is the story of that gift. Long, long ago, in a land of the North Country, an ancient people lived between dark evergreen forested hills and the deep, clear waters of a beautiful lake. The people farmed the land and harvested the crops. They fished the lake and brought home baskets filled with perch, bass, and trout. And they hunted the woods and brought home meat and skins to feed and clothe their families. Life was rich with great bounties from the water and the earth. And the people were grateful to their hero Gluskop, the first man of their people, the one who came before all others in the dawn of their time. He was their caretaker and had great powers, and the people believed it was he who helped provide the land's riches for them. They fished and hunted tirelessly and celebrated their good fortune and their bounteous life. There came a time when the wind began to blow very hard across the lake. It blew down from the nearby mountains and, to, and bent the trees so far over that many of them snapped and fell to the ground. It blew through the people's village and destroyed some of their homes. It shrieked across the lake and made the water so rough that their boats were blown far up onto the land. The wind blew so hard that the people could not fish, they could not hunt. They could not grow anything because the wind ripped the crops right out of the earth. The wind was vicious and it blew every day and the people grew hungry. Now the people of the village came together one day to talk about what they could do. And they sent the strongest men out to the lake to bring in their catch. But when the men went to their fishing weirs, they discovered there were no fish in them. And when they went to the fields to harvest the crops, they found the plants were broken and lay strewn all about the ground. And when they went to the woods to hunt for meat and bring back furs and skins, the forests were littered with broken trees and there were no animals, not even their tracks in sight. Now, the people of the village were desperate, so it was decided that some of the people's leaders would travel to the woods beyond the village to find their hero, Gluskop, who was powerful and strong and could make great things happen. And when they found him in his place, they spoke of their trouble, of their thirsting people and their starving children, and they asked him if there was something he could do to help ease their hardship. Gluskop listened with a great caring heart, for he loved his people well. Gluskop said he would visit Grandfather Windbird who, with his gigantic, powerful wings, made the wind blow. Gluskop would go to the great bird and tell him of the people's suffering, and he would ask the windbird to make the winds less fierce. Now, the windbird lived in a faraway place, high in the mountains of the North Country. It was a difficult journey for Gluskop to make, even with his great strength and endurance. And the mountain peak was tall, and the path to where the windbird lived was very steep and treacherous. Gluskop grew weary with every step. And when Gluskop arrived at the place where the wind bird lived, the giant bird, an eagle, was sitting upon a large boulder, flapping his huge, magnificent wings. And the wind swirled in great twisted gusts and roared from underneath the bird's feathery arms. And when Gluskop spoke, he had to raise his voice above the loudness of the wind. Wind bird, he called in his booming voice. The wind bird did not answer. Gluskop called out again. Wind bird, it is I, Gluskop. But the giant bird's wings did not slow. They beat harder, and the sound from underneath them pounded like a giant drumbeat. The wind bird glared at Gluskop with his great round eyes, and then slowly he bellowed, Why have you come? The people have asked that I speak with you. The wind you make with your wings is too great, Gluskop bellowed back. The people are suffering. They cannot go out in their boats to fish. The trees of the forest are falling to the ground as if they were twigs, and the people cannot hunt. 
Their crops are torn from the ground, and they have nothing to harvest. The wind you make is too strong. When he heard this, the wind bird grew angry. He raised himself up and stood tall upon the boulder. And stretching his wings wide, he roared, I was here long before any man or woman could speak. Long before they walked the earth, before they hunted, before they fished these waters. I was here when the rivers and the lakes were filled to their edges with fish. And my kind always had plenty of fish to feed their young. The waters were clean, and no man or woman disturbed the peace of these places where your kind now dwell. No messenger will tell me what to do with my wings. And with that, the wind bird drew back his head and began to beat his wings even harder. The air gushed and swirled in violent waves around the mountaintop. The force of the wind was so great that Gluskop could not stand up for fear of being blown from the top of the mountain. But when he heard the windbird declare himself, he too grew angry. And so Glusklop bravely stood up and became taller than the windbird. He said to the windbird as he looked down at him, I too am strong, stronger even than you. My people cannot endure the harshness of your wings any longer. If you will not calm the wind down, then I will have to tie your wings down. And this is what Gliscup did. Lunging forward before he was blown from the mountain, he wrestled with the giant bird. He grabbed the great wings and with strong pieces of leather, tied the wind bird's wings back so the bird could not move them at all. To be sure that his people would be safe, Gliscup found two giant rocks near the peak of the bird's mountain and he placed the wind bird between those boulders where he could not free himself. All around the mountaintop, the air grew still and very quiet. The roar of the great wind was gone. Gluskop looked down upon the valley and the lake below, and he was pleased to think how happy his people would be to find that the fierce wind had finally stopped. And when Gluskop returned to the village, the people were fishing again their boats. The days were sunny and warm, and the men and the women and the children could enjoy being on the waters of the lake. They could go into the woods and hunt. They could work in their fields, harvesting their crops. The people were happy again. But their happiness did not last. Without the cooling movement of the wind, the lake became sick. The water did not move gently from one shore to another and from the surface to the silty bottom. The lake could not breathe the way a lake needs to breathe when its waters move back and forth and up and down. Instead, the lake smelled of decaying plants and fish that died in the water, which had become thick with weeds. The people could not work in the fields for the air was too still and the sun beat down hard and there was no relief from the heat. Their crops were drying up and the animals of the forest had moved away to find water. Again, the people were suffering. So again, the people called on Gluskop to help them. And again, Gluskop went to the mountain peak where the wind bird lived. The great bird was just where Gluskop had left him many weeks earlier. Windbird said Gluskop to the bird who was crouched between the boulders looking very sad and lonely. My people once more are suffering. The air does not move at all. The wind does not bring the rains from far off places. The lake is growing sicker every day and the fish are dying. There is little food for the people to eat and no water for them to drink. Windbird nodded. The two were quiet. They sat together atop the mountain, looking out over the vast valley below, each thinking what how beautiful place it was with its deep green forest and the glassy lake staring back at the blue sky like the giant eye of the land soul. I will agree to use only one of my wind wings to make the wind over the lake, the wind bird said, breaking the silence. It will be a good wind for the people. This pleased Gluskop greatly. The wind bird went on, but 
You will tell the people that they must take only what they can use from the water and the woods and the fields. If they take too much, I will again see that they cannot hunt or fish or farm. Gluskop agreed and was happy with the Windbird's decision. He knew that they must all share the work of keeping the lake good for fishing, the woods good for hunting, and the fields good for growing crops. I will tell my people, and if the wind begins to blow hard, I will know, and the people will know that you are angry again, and the people will learn to use only what they need from the water and the land. You were wrong to tie my wings back, said the Windbird wearily but with some strange satisfaction in his voice. We were both wrong, Windbird, answered Gluskop, also in a weary voice. He went on wisely. I was wrong to tie both your wings back. You were wrong to be so arrogant and think only of yourself and your kind. Such selfishness will only bring harm to the earth and all its living things. You will grow old and be alone in the world. Together, we must make this right. The Windbird grew silent, for he knew that Gluskop was right. Gluskop helped him out of the space between the bowlers and untied the leather straps that bound one of his wings in the place. The windbird moved the free wing, stretching it and its beautiful feathers wide. Soon a gentle breeze swirled around the mountaintop like ribbon. This is a good wind, said Gluskop to the windbird. Gluskop sat proudly with the windbird on his mountaintop for a long time. Finally he spoke, windbird, we must give the people something so that many years from now, when different generations of my people live along these shores, they will remember the importance of the wind. They will know always to respect the gifts of the land and the water. Mm, and the windbird stood high in his boulder on the top of the mountain. One more time he stretched his feathers, feathered wings wide and he tipped his head up towards the sky. He breathed in and after filling his great chest, he let out a giant breath. The windbird beat his wings in great gentle arcs and sent his breath down the side of his mountain perch. The great bird's warm breath spread across the valley below and then across the lake, where it settled in a soft mist upon the waters of the people's lakes. Then the windbird spoke. Your people will see the mist over their waters in the stillness of the morning and the evening. And from one generation to the next, they will remember the lessons of their ancestors, and they will know what it is to love the land and the water of their place. And Gluskop smiled and then bid farewell to his friend. It was time to return to his people. And when he arrived back at the village, the people stood on the shore of their lake in the early evening, gazing at the beautiful mist that had settled gently over the water. Gluskop gathered them and told them about the wind bird's wishes. And when one of the men asked about the mist on the water, Gluskop told them, it was a gift for all generation. The people were in awe and promised Gluskop to always honor the richness of their home by living wisely there. Wayne Newell was a gifted storyteller. He was a passionate advocate for the Passamaquoddy culture and its language. I'm thankful he was a part of my life for a little while. He certainly taught me a lot, and I learned a great deal from him. The Windbird story is a great story for all children. It belongs to the Passamaquoddy tribe, the Wabanaki Federation, but it is a story 
for all people, regardless of race, creed, color, national origin, a story from the ages. So thank you, Wayne, for sharing this. And I'm going to leave you now with Wayne uh, singing a Passamaquoddy song that was recorded uh, for the Library of Congress. Thanks again for listening to Brightcast by Ship Bright. Glad you were here. Look forward to talking to you soon. And Happy New Year. This is being published on January 1st, 2022. So we all here wish you a wonderful, abundant, peaceful New Year. Oh. I know that, I know that.